Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. about them looking ahead we all thought there's you know everybody thinks there's potential trap game we lost ECU in a trap game on the road hostile environment and UCF pulled out the dub hello everybody and welcome back to charge on as always I am your host Sean Green what a game uh it is midnight um it is now Sunday uh the clocks are going to come back so I wonder when we're recording this pod I, I'm I don't know if we get this far but um, we get an extra hour so that's going to help Nick because we usually don't get an extra hour usually we're going to bed pretty late but uh, big win for UCF crazy kind of college football day uh, I'll be honest but um, what's most important is UCF got the rank the ranking next to their name they have a big matchup next week and they didn't let this game kind of slip away at many times, and, and Memphis really hung in there. But um, how you doing? And give your quick initial thoughts on yeah, uh, this yeah. game. I'm definitely excited that the clocks are rolling back tonight for this one because this was a, as you kind of alluded to there, this was a wild college football day. A, it's wild sports day in general. I mean, we, we had the, the Georgia route. We had Clemson going down. We had Alabama go down. We had a World Series champion crowned. For those of you who enjoy soccer, we have a thrilling MLS Cup. We had so many different things going on. And in the middle of that, we had a 330 UCF versus Memphis. UCF ranked for, I think, the first time since 2018 in the college football playoff polls. And I think a lot of people were scared that ranking was going to go away. Um, In this one, nobody's going to tell you that UCF played a clean game because it was far from it. But with that being said, going on the road against a conference opponent in a stadium where last time you played them here, you lost against them. You mentioned it there a little bit, potentially looking ahead to what has become now the biggest game on your schedule against Tulane. I've seen UCF lose this game before on the road. I have. And I thought the first quarter, it kind of had that vibe again, like, oh, God, here we go again. Here we go again. It was after that first drive where Mikey got sacked, I think, like two or three times in a row. And I'm like, oh, here we go. This is the road woes coming back again. But UCF made enough plays, and we'll get into it both offensively and defensively. But I think that's my initial thoughts is this is a game that I've seen UCF teams lose before. And I think I was very impressed that they were able to pull this out because in a day of mayhem of college football, all you needed to do was win. Just win and move on. And UCF was able to do that tonight. 100%. And we'll get into all of it uh, in just a little bit because there is a lot to get to. Um, But first, as always, guys, we want to say thank you, a huge thank you to Bet Online. Basketball is back, guys, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. 
And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's college football, NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Guys, that's B L E A V to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. And if you bet with Bet Online on the previous episode, me and Rob told you to take uh, that spread minus three and a half UCF, and uh, it got it, it covered. It, it covered. Um, it, realistically, Memphis scored later in the game, but it kind of Nick. I, on the last pod, I said that my my view of how the game went almost came to fruition. I said I thought it was going to be a 34-20 ball game. I said pretty much going into the fourth, it's going to be a one-score game. It's going to be a tight-knit game because we know, and you know, right? Like UCF on the road can be a completely different team. It's like night and day sometimes. That's been the Achilles heel of the Knights for the past however many seasons. And I said, I think in the fourth quarter, they can pull it off. And when we recorded the pod... And, and really, up until the game, we had no idea who the starter was going to be. We assumed it was going to be Mikey Keene, but we had no idea. There was rumblings that JRP was going to play and that fans were going to be upset. Um, and then a lot of people were saying, yeah, Mikey's going to start. So, for you said it in the first quarter, again, it was one of those, okay, we're playing Memphis. It's a close-knit game. No, you know, We go down, score right away, then per usual with our defense this year, they go down and score on their opening possession. But UCF, I think, I don't know, Nick, and I I think we just need to talk through it with the offense because there's some questions, I mean, that need to be answered going into next week, especially, and me and you, I think, don't think there's many questions. But once you make that decision, you can't really go back, right? And Mikey Keene, we both said on the pod, right, we think Mikey should start. We after that performance against Cincy, go with the hot hand, ride the hot hand. Came in against a ranked opponent, and really, besides the two turnovers, which both of them weren't his fault, they're fumbles. He played outstanding. And Nick, I want to be honest tonight. Besides the one, tur- the one interception, which you know I think he'd like to have that one back. He played a outstanding game, outstanding game. Two nineteen for three touchdowns, only missed six passes. And he was just accurate. I mean, threw the ball all over the field, everywhere you could do it. Um, but just talk on Mikey's performance. And honestly, like, I know me and you both believe Mikey should play next week. But kind of give your your thoughts on, you know, why he should over JRP and kind of just his performance today. Because I think him throwing the ball, he looks 10 times better than he did last year. And he still looked pretty good last year. Yeah, I thought it was overall a clean performance for Mikey Keene. I mean, yeah, he wants the pick back, no doubt about it. But for a while there, he was sitting on just one incompletion, and it was that pick. And give credit to the UCF defense for helping him out there and getting the turnover on that pick. So it really kind of off they offset each other. So you live with that, right? And outside of that, I don't think he really made any mistakes. I mean, when you go 22 for 28, you take that any day of the week. I mean, maybe the yardage wasn't there, but he was kind of taking what Memphis was giving him. And I got, I thought when they got in the red area, which only happened twice, I mean, he made two very good throws for touchdowns. I mean, that's what he needed to do. I thought the throw, the the best throw he made in the game 
was by far the one late in the game to make it, I think, 35-21 was the Kobe Hudson. I mean, that that was a special throw. And that's something that last year you kind of can see the growth. He really struggled throwing down the field last year. We saw that a lot. And in this little sample size so far, six quarters of football, I've seen enough that lets me know that he really has improved as a passer. There's a lot more zip on his throws, which we talked about last week. He throws it with conviction, right? He's not second-guessing. And even using his legs a little bit. Like, he ain't John Rice Plumley. Not many guys are. I don't. I'm not, I really don't want him to be John Rice Plumley, to be honest with you. But I think more often than not, what you're going to get with Mikey Keene is that assurance that he's going to play a clean football game. And I think that's all you really need because, as we talked about, this is an offense that on any given day can score over 500 yards of offense. I mean, that's what they average right now, a top five offense in college football. A little bit under that today. Uh, but again, you're taking what the defense gives you. It's on the road, all those things. But I think on most days, you just need to protect the football and you'll be fine more often than not. And I think Mikey King gives you a better shot of doing that than John Rice Plumley. And to me, I know Gus Malzahn is tied to the hip of John Rice Plumley. Maybe John Rice could have played today. I mean, he dressed, obviously. I know he didn't really practice much or if at all. So I understand that. I just think, I know it's only six quarters of football and we talked about being prisoner of the moment. I've seen so many UCF quarterbacks come back and lose a game like this before. The fact that he was able to play well, the offense was able to score 35. I think that's enough for me. I'm sold enough right now to say going to our biggest game of the season, there's no need to make a change right now. There, there is zero need to make a change. Keep the continuity. I don't like the flip-flopping because what happens if you go into Tulane and John Rise is overwhelmed. And then you got to put in Mikey Keene like that all cold. And I just, I'm not a fan of flip-flopping. I think this is the guy right now. And you kind of have to, you know, this is lightning in a bottle in my opinion. And hey, when you got a running game like that, by the way, that was emerging. I mean, that helps your quarterback as well. So uh, I think yeah, Mikey Keene to me needs to be the starter. I, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind on that. Yeah, and I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, watching the game today, the poise, I mean, credit to offensive line again, like they've had two straight good weeks keeping that pocket clean. And uh, he really had a lot of time. There's only a couple instances where he had to get out of the pocket. He had, he got sacked, I think twice. And you, you alluded to it on that one possession uh, where we had to punt, but there was a couple times he got out of the pocket, ran for great yardage, threw the ball away, but that's what we like to see out of the quarterback. And Again, there's no disrespect to John Rice. I mean, again, man's won you games, many games this season, but I think there's a clear-cut difference between the two. And yes, JRP gives you that extra element in the run game, right? You have to account for his running ability and you know him being able to pass. But the accuracy, Nick, and I think we've, we've yeah. talked about it several times over the however many weeks we've been doing this podcast, yeah. right? The accuracy you can tell, like, I think Gus, Gus isn't stupid. I mean, I think he clearly knew, okay, we've got a really accurate quarterback that can't really move too much. And then a quarterback that is less accurate, but can do more with the football. I think, of course, in Gus, Gus's offense, we've said that is the quarterback he wants. But with the weapons you have and getting your weapons the ball, maybe taking away the fact that your quarterback can go run for 60 yards a game 
isn't the worst thing in the world because now you have guys like Hudson, like O'Keefe. And then, like you alluded to, now the running game's been great all year, but yeah, they're not having to worry about the quarterback running out. But you can't load the box because if you then load the box, you're leaving one-on-one matchups with the receivers. So I don't know. I think the throws he was making tonight were just so crisp and spot on. Like, and they were they were gorgeous throws. And all of them were pretty much the back of the end zone. I mean, the one back left to Javon Baker was exceptional. Yeah, I not mean, easy only throws. where Javon yeah. could like he can only get it. The Kobe Hudson, both touchdowns, the double move on Kobe, that was phenomenal. So yeah, I mean, I think you have to ride the hot hand, especially against a team like Tulane, who I watched their game today. Um, just getting ready. It was an early kickoff against Tulsa. Thank God we don't have to see Tulsa this year. But um, yeah, it scares me. Their defense scares me. And I think especially with JRP being out for now a week and a half, like you don't want to thrust him into that situation at all. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get more into like the Tulane on the preview pod this week. But, you know, kind of watching more of them play. This is, again, one of those games that I'll tell you I'm worried about because, you know, there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, this isn't the old UCF team. We can't sit here and act like they're just more talented than everybody. And, you know, the facts are the facts, right? They are more talented than these teams. But, you know, Tulane right now, you want to talk about hot, they're hot. And, I mean, they're just at the point right now where they're just stacking up wins. It's really not all that difficult for them. So, maybe game day this week in Tulane. See, I'm fine talking about game day now. I'm fine. We'll talk about it at the end of the pod. I'm fine talking about game day now since we won. Um, Yeah, Memphis fans didn't love the last pod. They didn't like what we had to say. It's okay. I mean, I mean, listen. I just, I'm just. I can only give so much credit to Memphis. I did. I don't. I don't know what else to tell people. Like UCF with the. I'll just say it again. And I don't know if this is controversial take or what. UCF with all the talent that they have assembled. Okay. There's no reason why they shouldn't be nine and zero. Okay. I love seven and two. They're ranked. The the uh, the conference is still for the taking. The New York Six is still for the taking, right? That's all great. I'm just saying UCF probably should be a 9-0 football team based on the talent that they have. I'm not saying that talent always wins out. We always know that's not the case. But I'm just saying they are more talented than every team on their schedule, in my opinion. End of story. Well, that was my opinion last week. I, 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 I said that. I said on paper, UCF has more talent than everybody in the American. Now, if they play up to their potential, that's, the that's a different story. That's a different story. Let's talk about that running game, Nick, that you alluded oh. to. That, I mean, man, uh, we've been pounding the R.J. Harvey train in the last two weeks. Outstanding. I mean, to speak, you go ahead and you speak. I know he had that one... He hit the gap perfectly on the zone read, and he just ran it very far. The touchdown run, though, I mean, that was big boy, big boy football right there for sure. Yeah, this is the one part where it's not a criticism of Gus Malzahn by any means, but did we have to get this far into the season before we could tell you that R.J. Harvey was running back one? I mean, did we have to? I mean, today we almost saw an even split, right? 
Bowser got 15 carries. RJ got 17 carries. And what did they both do with it? Bowser goes his 15 for 67, which I feel like I've seen that stat line of his over and over and over, right? But RJ Harvey, a 61-yard run, 151 total. I mean, just his impact everywhere. We saw it also, not as much in this game, but we saw it in the Cincinnati game, his value as a receiver as well in open space. He's a complete package. He's a complete package. I mean, UCF's lucky to have three really good running backs, but he's a star. He's a star. And in this game, he was definitely unstoppable. I thought UCF could have honestly kept going more to the run at times in this game. I mean, just prove until they could stop it, just keep going. I thought they could have done that at times. But that's if I had one criticism of Gus Malzahn this year, I think maybe waiting too long to get R.J. Harvey involved from the jump from a little bit. Yeah. But we've seen the roles change. I mean, Johnny Richardson's not getting the ball as much. Bowser, when he gets in there, is definitely situational, as we saw like on the Wildcat play, which, which, which we were texting back and forth, by the way, on that Wildcat play. Very creative, and it's like you mentioned. I mean, you still had six yards to go. I think it should have been obvious to the defense, like, hey, they're probably gonna do something weird here. But the thing is, they run that play so much, and they do it from like they don't just do it from like a yard out or two out. They've done it from back there before, and it works because that's something that Bowser's really good at for whatever reason is the wildcat. So it keeps them honest, and he gets that play call. So I thought that was great by Gus, but. Whatever it is, we got R.J. Harvey now, and I think he he's completely the X factor to this offense at the moment. Oh, I mean, it's he's just so hard to stop because he he brings the brute force, right? Like he's hard to tackle, but he also has that elusive speed where he can get out of the, get out of you know a big group of people and break one for fifty. So, and but I, I we said it last week. I really just love how they are using the backs now, right? Like, I think early in the season, it was more so like, oh, we're going to force Bowser. We're going to force hand him the ball because of what he did last season. I I like Bowser. I know there's critiques. We've critiqued him all season, but it's not necessarily his fault. It's more so for this offense specifically, RJ Harvey just works better. Not saying Bowser doesn't work great. The times that we use Bowser the last two weeks have been perfect play calls. He's a good change I mean, of pace guy. Yeah, he's a good change of pace it, guy. Exactly. You're in the red zone. Give him the football. And yeah, we. I when I was seeing it, I was thank God it was the play call it was because I was like, no, 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 Gus. I, I listen. I get it works. Six yards is a little much for me. Okay, like they're assuming you're going to do that. So right when I saw that it was it was that play, I'm like, okay. Steven, my boy gets, Stephen Martin gets a touchdown. Great play call by Gus. Um, and I think early in the game, that was beneficial. You you solidified the run. Mikey was accurate. Um, and you kind of had the feeling, Nick, it was just going to be one of those games where it's, if the defense doesn't make the stops, the offense is going to be able to move the ball, especially through the air. So yeah, I, I agree with you though. I think we could have run the ball more in certain situations, but Mikey was just so deadly accurate and they couldn't defend our receivers at all. Like they were getting separation, they were getting open. Um, and let's talk about those receivers. I mean, you really had a another kind of three-headed horse in a way. Um, Hudson O'Keefe and Baker, they've been your guys. 
Um, but let's talk about Kobe Hudson. I mean, he's really just come on. We we talked about it before the pod and kind of looked at his stats over the last however many games. And, you know, he had a rough start. Maybe not his fault. Maybe injuries. You know, no speculation. But the last four or five weeks, Nick, see, he's just like, he's come on in a big way and he's become, uh, you know, you can't really give a number one target with this team, but he's become... You know, the guy that was advertised coming into UCF for sure. Again, I, I it's one of the good things about the transfer portal. You can transform one side of the ball completely in one cycle in the transfer portal. And who are the guys we're talking about? I mean, it's been Javon Baker has been really good this year. When UCF, when the offense was rolling at the beginning, we were talking about JRP. And we were kind of just waiting on Kobe Hudson, who you mentioned, a slow start, didn't play the first couple games. But... He's continued to get better and better and better and better. And the numbers look better every single week to the point. I mean, he's almost averaging 20 yards a catch. Uh, that, that's outstanding. That's got to be near the top of the conference, I'd imagine. I don't have it in front of me at the moment, but I got to imagine that's, that's near the top. I mean, you'll take that any day of the week. And you mentioned it, it seems like every time he gets it, it just always it's he's very dependable. And again, this is the importance of bringing in guys that have played high-level college football. For whatever Auburn is, whatever they're going through last year, he's still the leading receiver on Auburn, on SEC program. I mean, you don't do that at a team like that, at that program, in that conference, if you can't play. So, no. again, and the same thing goes for Javon Baker, which was just crowded Alabama. But Kobe Hudson definitely, I mean, the three-headed monster, and you talk about how, how do you replace a guy like Jalen Robinson. It's like... That name, I feel like we haven't even brought up at all, like the loss of it, because we're really not even feeling it. And no. I mean, Ryan O'Keefe has stepped into that number one role, I think, well. Maybe not Maybe not the more down the field that we've seen in recent years, but he's still very dependable, right? And they use him in many creative different ways. But I always thought that going in, you look at that on paper, that was going to be a strength. And now that they're all healthy as they probably have been so far, all three of them together, I think, again, that's another big reason why this offense is humming. Yeah, they're hitting their stride at the right time. I mean, there's not a lot of drop balls. They're getting open. They're getting separation. And even when they're not getting separation, they're catching balls in tight windows. Um, it's good to see, though, too. I mean, Javon Baker, you know, Alabama did lose. And, you know, these guys have chips on their shoulder. Um, Kobe Hudson, when Brian Harson got fired, he sent out a tweet like, you know, wouldn't change a thing or whatever. And Javon Baker put out a tweet basically to Alabama saying like, you know, y'all could use me right now. And then he said uh, in a tweet, uh, I would do, I would make this decision over again because I'm having so much fun uh, with this team. So it's good to see those guys that do come over in the transfer portal. And listen, transfer portal is not perfect. I mean, you might have a guy that transfers over to new school doesn't get any playing time and hates his situation. But teams like UCF and Gus just have a really good locker room with a lot of great guys that love playing with each other. Um, and it doesn't matter who's getting the ball. It doesn't matter um, who's getting the tutties. It's, it matters if they're getting the W, which is huge because you, and, know, you could have a and, lot of egos, especially with a UCF team. Yeah, and by the way, all the talent we just mentioned – and throw Kamori Gamble in there, by the way, too. Another guy who did it at Florida and I don't think has been a part of the offense as much as I thought he was going to be. But all that talent, and who made the big play today? Holler, baby. Alec Holler. Holler hop. 
He made the play. Holler hop. I mean, holler hop. Holler hop. You just wanted it more. I mean, that 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 I I mean, that play to me epitomized a turning point in this program, at least, of of those are plays that they have not made in the past few years. I'll just put it that way. Those are plays they have not made. That game, there was still three timeouts left for Memphis, right? 35-28. Crowd was starting to boil a little bit. Their defense played really well those first two, their first, uh, those first two plays of that drive, right? And it's just a very like nothing play for Alec Holler, who is very just. I mean, he's Alec Holler. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't know what you say about him. He's just kind of there, right? And he gets enough blockers in front of him, but he still makes the play on his own. And the fact that he goes for that hop, the 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 Holler hop, as you said. And just gets it by about a by a half yard. I mean, those are winning football plays. You have if you're going to go in on the road in the conference at this point in the season, first week in November, where it's always madness, and you're going to win, you need plays like that. And I'm not. I don't want to say that play changed the game because UCF was in front, but it definitely stopped the game from changing because uh, that game was turning for a second there until that play. I think it took the life. It, it, you could, it took the breath out of Memphis. You could see it was third and nine. They were genuinely, you could tell, like they just put up a touchdown. There was three minutes left. You don't get that. You're punting the ball away to a, a Memphis offense who, you know, credit all the Memphis. It was a tough game for UCF. There was no easy going for this Knights team. Memphis really came to play, but we knew that. I mean, we said it on the preview. They could be a six and two football team right now. Like, at the end of the day, you could be seven and one. Like you lost by ten to, to uh, uh, I'm blanking. Tulane, sorry, um, lost by ten to Tulane, but you were down thirty five nothing. Came back to make it thirty eight twenty eight. I mean, twenty eight to three in in points. That's insane. Had the four overtime loss to ECU, the the loss to Houston, the the heartbreaker in, with Houston. And then this one, you kind of always felt like UCF had an upper hand, but there were game-changing points in the game. But Memphis is a tough football team. And we said that. Like, they have running back, wide receiver by committee, and it, their defense is the only problem. And I think that was shown today. Mikey Keene threw the ball over the field. Um, offensive line played great. Running backs, wide receivers. It was just outstanding on the offense. And really didn't have many drives where you were stalled. There was only a couple instances in the third quarter where you you felt maybe momentum shift. Um, but all around great offense, and we'll see. I mean, we'll see who's the starter. We both think it should be Mikey. I'm assuming many UCF fans believe it also should be Mikey. Um, but at the end of the day, whoever's going to win the game is what we care about. If, if JRP's in there and wins, that's all we care about as fans. But... Nick, let's go to the defense. Um, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I, I first want... So let's talk about the momentum changer a little bit. Um, I have this play marked down because I think ultimately it was a big play. And I think a lot of Memphis fans, you know, I'm not even going to say rightfully so because I I said it was targeting. Um, the targeting call on their tight end... Um, you could kind of tell. I think it was 21-21. They were driving the ball down the field. I mean, they were... Defense couldn't stop them. 
I understand where some Memphis fans are coming from in the sense it's very rare, very rare in a play like that for a offensive player to get called for targeting. There is also a lot to say that maybe if John Baptiste didn't get concussed and drop, do they even call targeting? I would agree with fans, and I would say no, that probably that call, that call does not get made if Gene Baptiste is on the floor for as long as he was. But a couple things, and I, I want to get your take on it. Number one, it 100% was targeting. It 150% what he lowered the helmet to the neck area, it 100% was targeting. And for any Memphis fan that wants to complain and say that is such a BS call, you're wrong. That was targeting. He lowered the helmet, and I get it's rare in an offense because the defensive player is usually the one coming at trying to make a tackle like that. It was targeting. Big momentum shifter. Uh, I just want your thoughts on that. Um, And how big was that for UCF, especially in that sense, where the momentum was kind of shifting to Memphis at that time, um, but big targeting call kind of puts them in a second 19, and then uh, the stupid fourth and 16 uh, go for on Memphis's part. Yeah, the the targeting stuff, I mean, it's the same way in college. It's the same way with the NFL. There's too much gray area, right? I saw plays in other games today that I thought were clearly targeting – and they weren't called. I see plays no. that are called targeting, and I go, really? I mean, in this but scenario... It, seems like the, it almost seems like the player has to literally be concussed for them yes, to even review and, a target. And, but, but, Jeremiah John Baptiste, yeah, but Jeremiah John Baptiste going down and staying down for a little bit, I think in the moment, a referee is always going to probably err on the side of caution. He's always going to err on the side of, I'm going to throw the penalty. And I think that's what happens. And of course, you know, I understand Memphis fans are upset about it, but in football, you make your own breaks. You make your own break. It's, it's football. I mean, right or wrong, it's football. It happens. There's going to be good calls. There's going to be bad calls. And you got to you got to respond after that. And I don't think Memphis responded well to that play. I don't. I mean, momentum clearly shifted back into UCF's favor. I have no idea why Ryan Silverfield is going for it on fourth and long like that. I, I, for the life of me, can't get an answer. I think common sense tells you, okay, you're a little too far out to kick a field goal. Just go ahead and punt one and try to get down inside the tent and make UCF go 90 yards. Right. I mean, is that I I watched I watched his press conference after and he explained it in the sense that he said they are an average team when it comes to um, putting teams within the 10. So his view was that it was going to go in the end zone um, and they were on UCF's 39. So his view was, yeah, you're probably a little the kick field goal kicker who is. Well, he hadn't had a miss up until today. I mean, let's Um, one of the better. For for sake of keeping it you know neutral here, I mean Gus Malzahn decided to attempt to he decided to send. I his have an kick. answer for that one too. I know there's an answer to that got, one too. Yes, I, but in the moment though, he did. It was like, what are you in doing, the moment, Gus? It's like, what are you doing? Oh, I mean, I I was sitting on the couch and I'm watching. I'm like, we're not going for this, right? We're not we're not actually kicking this field. He was not. He was not. Boomer and then he kicked on that it, one. and I'm no. like. No. no. Which, by the way, no, was, we didn't boom. I understand like 64 is a long way, but like, was that even good from 50? 
I I don't even I don't barely think, even landed into the end zone. I don't think Boomer expected it. No, it, it landed at like the three. Like it, it, it didn't even get anywhere close. But yeah. I don't even think he because yeah, give, it wasn't supposed the, to give get us the expli- Give us the explanation for those who hadn't heard it yet. Which explanation? There's two explanations to two idiotic plays. Do you want the Memphis explanation or do oh, you I want heard, the I heard the I heard the Memphis one, but give me the give me the Gus one. Okay, so yeah, you have the Memphis one, 39, you have to beat UCF, and 4th and 16, they figured, go for it. UCF, Gus said it, they weren't supposed to hike it, it was supposed to draw them off sides, and if they didn't draw, draw them off sides, they were going to take the 5-yard penalty, get a little extra room, punt it. Uh, so that, the explanation, it was not supposed to get hiked and Gus said it took years off of his life uh, when it did get hyped. <laughs> took years off of mine and probably yeah. years off yours because we're thinking, okay, we're not we're, we're not going for this fourth and one. Just punt it to them or give it back to them. They don't have a lot of time. You know, we'll go into the half good. And then they kick the field goal. And I'm like, oh. And then, of course, they bring it to like the 50. And I'm like, this is where the downfall happens. They're going to kick a field goal to end the half, then they get the ball, they're going to, it was, that's where my mind went. So, two, two crazy plays, especially the Memphis one, the fourth and 16, I'm like, I don't know why they're going for this. Um, And it was a good explanation, but I still don't, like, I get it, you're you're going up against UCF, mind games, they're like, it's UCF, we have to score points, but still not a great decision. Um, So that was the momentum shifter. I'll be honest, Nick. Two big takeaways from this game. Number one, or I think a couple more. Uh, red zone defense is still legit. I mean, you had the number seven red zone offense going up against the number one red zone defense. And I think we could both agree that pretty much all day today, the red zone defense was elite. I don't, I think they only allowed maybe two touchdowns in the red zone. Um, most or maybe more than that, but they stopped three red zone scores. So yeah, they were they're four seven in the red in the red area. There you go. So I mean, impressive by the defense. That's tough to do, especially against an offense like this who has had so much success. Um, but other than that, I think it's the same. It's the same defense, but when you get to play a team like Tulane next week, right? And I know we we we're now kind of shifting our mindset. You can't let a team throw for as many yards, run for as many yards. Now, they kind of stopped the run in the second half. I don't have the number on the second half rushing attempt or rushing yards, but they had over 100 and something in the first half. So they kind of shut down the running in the second half, but they started throwing the ball more. And credit to the defense. They stuck in there. They held tight. They made plays when they needed to, which has been the mantra of the defense all year. But... It, do, I, it doesn't lie. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't worry me uh, for the weeks coming up in the sense that you can't let a team get into the red zone seven times. You, you just can't. No, and you got to get off the damn field. You've got to get off the field. Nine of 14 on third down. And this is kind of a theme in these sort of games. I mean, we saw the East Carolina, which was the worst defensive performance by far this year by UCF. And I thought this was, I thought this was close, honestly. I was, I did not like this defensive performance. I mean, there's really nothing to, they didn't get home to the quarterback, right? There were times where maybe they got pressures and, you know, give him credit. He was able to move out into the pocket and, 
and kind of make plays with his feet a little bit or throw it away, whatever, find open guys. Like the flats were open. The flats were open in this game a lot, you know? So I understand that, but it just – last week was such an inspired performance, I thought, defensively. And you're kind of – and I understand it's at home, it's a little different, but none of that translated here. Like, I mean, if you're going to ask me for a defensive standout, I can't find one. I I really can't. Even the ones that I'm used to, like – I'm used to, like, saying, yeah, they played really well, like Selazar or Traymond Morris-Brash. Obviously, I'm not picking anybody on that line because nobody got home. I mean, even Jeremiah John Baptiste before the concussion, or he got knocked out, he missed a, he missed a a a tackle right in the middle of the field to that big tight end, and allowed him to run for twenty yards, twenty twenty five yards after, and it was kind of just piss poor technique, really. So I don't think it was his greatest game there, and I don't think Devon Wilson, despite the fact that he got the pick, was that great either in the back end, and we had penalties. I mean, uh, Brandon Adams multiple penalties. He had a rough day today, so. Again, it just it was not complimentary football whatsoever. I thought in this one, and I, again, I but they made the plays when they needed to. You win the turnover battle. You won the turnover battle, and honestly, that was the deciding factor, especially the one in the red zone, because it's a completely different game. Obviously, if they score there, no, yeah, and I think that's the frustrating thing. I mean, Memphis had more total yards than us on offense. They put up four hundred thirty-three yards of offense on this defense. And you can we can give credit, and we do, like to stop them three times in the red zone to hold them to no points is impressive. I mean, that is hard to do in college football, especially when they're in the red area and you're thinking they can easily kick up a field goal, right? To yeah. uh, a missed field goal, then to turnovers, that, that's great. But with that being said, six penalties for 66 yards, like you mentioned, Brandon Adams was very bad today. Um, made up for it in the second half. He made some good plays, but the the PIs were just all over the field. Uh, and, and some of them didn't need to be. Well, oh. What was the one that was? It was later in the game. And again, my memory is so clouded right now from from the play. But I mean, yeah. the throw was like it was not even a catchable pass. And we're, was it on Devon Wilson the the bad hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. I mean, it's not even a catchable yeah. pass. There's no need. There's that, just think, zero need. That was. The, that was the more frustrating thing for me was some of those balls where the PIs were happening, no way they were getting caught. Like, no way. I liked, I forgot, um, I think it was a, a good defensive play on Justin Hodges. It was in the third quarter. Probably a small play. I don't know if a lot of UCF fans will think about it, but we were just getting so many PIs that every time the ball would get thrown up, I'm like, please, just stay back. Please do not, do not grab. Just like, let him go. And Justin Hodges made a great play um, on some receiver going up the right sideline. Didn't touch him, boxed him out, overthrown ball. And I feel like it would have been a lot of more overthrown balls if we just keep our hands off. Now, if you get beat, you get beat. Um, But yeah, corners did not play good today uh, at all. And that's including the safety play. Uh, Like Devon Wilson, like you said, you kind of just felt like, you know, you made bad mistakes the one drive, I forget, I think it was in the second quarter. The one drive, they they had they marched down the field for like it was like 70 yards. And 40, 50 of the yards were on our penalties, which we cleaned it up after that. But six for 66, I mean, can't do that next week. Cause if you do this something like that next week where you're just giving them free plays, I mean, you lose the game when you walk into the stadium. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
But um, yeah, so let's talk about injuries, Nick. Uh, three big ones. Three big injuries uh, that hopefully when we're talking about next week, we're they are not on the injured list. Uh, we, we've talked about these guys, Devon Wilson, uh, Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, and Quadric Bullard, who I don't know when he went out, but I don't know if he's going to play. Um, he was in a boot uh, in, on crutches walking off the field. So I don't know if that's just precautions or if it's, I, I would assume, if you're in a boot or if you're in a knee brace, excuse me, and you're with crutches, that it's probably something serious. Uh, Wilson and Baptiste, they both got knocked out uh, with concussions. John Rice was cleared for this game after a concussion. Uh, how big, I, now obviously I can assume how big, but those are two of your defensive leaders, right, Nick? So if those guys don't play against Tulane next week, what we can talk about UCF's chances, but do you think this defense will be able to replace those guys for a top 20 matchup next week? Uh, I don't think they can replace uh, Jeremiah John Baptiste for whatever. I don't think he played that great in this game before the injury. He has been arguably your MVP on that side of the ball and he is your team captain and he's in the middle of that defense. And there's a reason why UCF has been very stout in that part of the, in that part of the field this year. And it's because of him. Right. And I know Jason Johnson usually steps up in his absence and we've seen that earlier this year when Gene Baptiste didn't play, but this is a completely different opponent and you need him out there in a road game, somebody with experience that's been there a few seasons now. So I think he's probably the one that you can't withstand. I think they're probably more, they got more depth on the back end. I think that I would trust more so in that linebacker position, but so we'll see what happens there with Newt. Uh, obviously, the Quadric Buller, the same thing. I didn't really see what happened there. It was just kind of, he's out. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. But I think Gene Baptiste is definitely the most important one. But also, I mean, he's the one that got knocked out of the game. So it's going to be the hardest for him to get back. So uh, we have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, both Devon and Baptiste had towels on their heads, which usually indicated, you know, they got knocked out uh, with a concussion. So, Hopefully, hopefully they can play next week because they're going to be, uh, you know, again, I watched the Tulane game and they've got speed. They've got speed all over the field. And, you know, when you're playing a team like Memphis, which no disrespect, I said I, they're very talented, but they don't have anywhere near the speed that Tulane does. And Hennigan was getting free. I mean, a lot of the receivers were getting free. So, it should be interesting. Hopefully, we get them back. Uh, hopefully, they can clear protocol. But obviously, whatever's best for the interest of them and their health and well-being is what we want the most. So, ultimately, if they have to sit out, next man up, step up, and Cam Moore can come in. He's, you know, he's been getting a lot more reps. Um, and then safety-wise, Kobe Perry would probably take over uh, for Wilson. But all in all. Cardiac Knights did not disappoint. They came through. They pulled through. And quickly, before we leave, Nick, I mean, I've got the game day shirt behind me, right? New Orleans, Louisiana. Potential game day spot. Top 20 matchup. Most likely, I I, I think UCF, 
We, now, this is coming out on Monday, so the rankings will be out. Or Do the college football rankings get released Tuesday, I think? This yeah, week? it's going to be Tuesday, every Tuesday. Okay. And I was, I was actually so, going to point that out. Um, I don't know if you were going to as well, that they got a lot of help on the rankings this week based on what mm-hmm. we saw. Uh, yeah, we, we got yeah. Uh, NC State beat Wake Forest, so Wake Forest will likely drop out. Yeah, Syracuse lost to Pitt; they're dropping out. Oklahoma State got the brakes beat off of them by Kansas; they're, they're likely out. dropping off. Illinois got got defeated by the worst team in that side of the Big Ten in Michigan State. They're probably not going to fall out, but they're going to drop for sure. So in Kansas State lost as well. So they got a lot of help on the teams in front of them. So maybe an outside shot to move up maybe four to five spots. Maybe. I think at least 20. I think at least. Maybe. I think the real question is, Nick, will we be in New Orleans? Uh, it's, a, it's a maybe. It's a maybe. It's a good thought put out there by, I think it was Rob who put it out there. About us heading up there. I've never been on one of these like road trip type things. So I'm definitely interested. New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans before. So Same. Everything everybody says it's a fun town. Take a little two lane takeover. I don't know how much of a home field advantage there is in there. We haven't really done our research yet on everything two lane, but I don't mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not familiar with some kind of big home field advantage. Maybe an opportunity for a lot of UCF fans to travel. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Stay tuned. Yeah, maybe a charge on, maybe a charge on, uh, charge on podcast uh, travels to travels to New Orleans for the game. And if they lose, then I, probably no podcast. Yeah, if we lose, we just uh, take the take the the day off or a couple days <laughs> off. Uh, no, no, you gotta, you gotta, you do it when they win. You do it when they lose. You know how it rolls. Yeah. Well, you guys will find out on Thursday. Uh, if ultimately we decided to go, uh, but I think it's a, I think there's a, there's a pretty good chance we go. I mean, there's not many games that you could say for your school that are a top twenty five matchup. Game day is going to it, yeah. uh, and basically your chance to pretty much win the conference. No shade, no offense to Navy or USF, but you win this game, you're going to a conference title. Uh, that's most likely. Uh, what would happen, but everything is up. Next week's your biggest game on the schedule. I mean, next week's your season. I mean, if you win, you pre- your destiny is decided. You lose, you better hope since he loses in the final week. But um, Nick, any final thoughts to close out UCF's big dub in Memphis? Yeah, like I've said, uh, this is a game where they do not play perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but at this point in the season, I'm not looking for style points. I'm really not. I think UCF has racked up plenty of those. I just need you to grind out victories and keep putting W's together, and I think they're doing that, obviously, with a little bit of a quarterback transition. R.J. Harvey, in his case, getting more touches into the offense. Kobe Hudson getting more acclimated into the offense. A lot of newness going on around here. Keep styling win, or just keep uh, piling up wins, rather. And Tulane next week. Can't wait for it. Thank you, as always, uh, for being so great as a co-host. 
Um, make sure you guys tune in to our Tulane preview pod. Potential special guests. We've got a great week coming up. I mean, you could potentially go into the game, and we have a great guests to come on the show, so stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you so much, so, so much for tuning in to Charge On. We really appreciate all the support, and your nights, our nights, are hitting their stride, and we might we might have some fun. We might have a good couple months here uh, being UCF fans, so we'll see. We will see. Thank you for supporting Charge On. We really appreciate it. This has been Charge On presented by Bet Online. Go Knights, Charge On. We will see you on Monday, Thursday. We will see you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.